You could get a little bit of this during prohibition, but <laughs> you had to have a doctor's prescription. <laughs> now you don't have to have a prescription. You just have to have like $75 for one of these 750 milliliter bottles. So unless you're in Washington state where I am out here on the Olympic Peninsula, looking right over there to my right at snow covered mountains. And if I were to step outside and actually be able to see, I could see to the left my water. Let's talk a little bit today about how to lead in a virtual workplace. Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Welcome back. You can hear me lighting another cigar. This one is, I think this one might have starred in one of our other podcasts. I don't remember. I don't record these and then they show up days after I record them. We tend to record these podcasts and then release them when I feel like it. <laughs> now there is some rhyme and reason behind when they're released, but this cigar I'm sure showed up in one of our other ones. It's the Nuance Premium Triple Smoked. I think that's what the name of it is called. I took the band off. Are you a person when you you smoke cigars do you take the band off of the cigar before you smoke it or do you leave it on all the way to the end and then take it off i tend to take them off because i think especially with cigars like this one it's a very beautiful cigar take the band off and some of them come off really easily and some of them don't but i like to take the band off of cigars and just look at the cigar itself without the band so i believe this one is called the i think it was called the nub nuance or something like that it showed up in uh, again in one of our other podcasts let me lean over here and see if i can find the band ah oh, there it is there it is okay it's a Nub Nuance Triple Roast 460 because it's a 60 ring cigar and it's four inches long and it's got a nice dark Sumatran wrapper on it and it's full of Dominican delight on the inside. Uh, I used to call these uh, little Nub cigars dog walkers because they <laughs> you could smoke them in 30 or 45 minutes while you're out walking your dog unless it was a Jack Russell because those dogs walk very fast, right? They're nervous, fast dogs, right? <laughs> anyway, dog walker, good cigars. Uh, I like this a lot. It's very enjoyable. In fact, most of the Oliva stuff is pretty good. I like this. This has a nice, sweet, sweet taste to it to begin with on the cap. But then as it goes on, it, it's just a, a really mellow cigar. You'd look at it and think it was going to slap you in the face, but it doesn't. It's got a bunch of subtle flavors all the way through. And normally a cigar, I think of it as, as having four different kind of layers of flavor. The first layer when I light it up, like the first three or four puffs, and then the first third of the cigar is another set of flavor profiles and then the second third and then the last third of the cigar but because I have a beard and a mustache I don't get too close to that last third <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to create a little forest fire on my face so I uh, tend to think of all four of those different layers and this one is consistent all the way through I like it a lot it's very very good it's kind of kind of without peer there aren't other ones out that are like it some Drew Estate cigars have a similar kind of effect but not exactly the same as these I like these a lot. They can be a bit pricey unless you get them on a 
you know, an auction site or something like that. And today's bourbon is called Peerless Small Batch Kentucky Straight Bourbon. This one is the barrel proof small batch. So that means it's going to be up at about 108, 110. And it is quite good. It looks like it comes, it looks like a big Madison bottle. <laughs> I think that's on purpose. But pour a little bit of it right here. Just a touch right there in my Glencairn glass. And oh, the smell is delightful. Just utterly, utterly delightful. This is great stuff. I will sip a little bit of it here with you. Oh, so I typically pour about, I don't know, maybe a tablespoon. Maybe it's a half a shot or less than half a shot of bourbon in the bottom of a glass like this Glencairn glass. You know, these ones that are shaped like Aladdin's lamp almost, but just to get the taste of it, just to really enjoy it. I don't drink much of it. I drink often, but not very much. So I might have a bourbon every other day or something like that, and it might not even be a full shot. Because really good bourbon, to me, really good bourbon is just to taste. I don't want to fall down and get slobbery drunk. My goodness, my personality is obnoxious enough as it is. But anyway, that's the Peerless. It's good stuff. All the reviews of it were pretty good, so I got a bottle of it a few months back. It's now, I might, have, I might have purchased this six or eight months ago. I should write on these bottles when I purchase them, because I keep them for quite a bit of time. If they're really good, although I might go back and get a second and have a, a backup for it. But this, this Peerless brand has been around for a long time, but not active for a long time. It was started in the late 1800s, maybe 1880 or 1890 or something like that. And it was based in Kentucky, I think Henderson, Kentucky, where a lot of places were during the Prohibition, of course, it destroyed that company and it went under. In fact, you could get a little bit of this Peerless during Prohibition, but <laughs> you had to have a doctor's prescription. <laughs> so I think that's why it looks like this. I don't know. It's supposed to look like a barrel or a small barrel, or if it's supposed to look like a, something out of the medicine chest from the 1900. Now you don't have to have a prescription. You just have to have like $75 for one of these so 750 milliliter bottles. So you just have to have 70 bucks unless you're in Washington state where I am out here on the Olympic Peninsula looking right over there to my right at snow-covered mountains. And if I were to step outside and actually be able to see, I could see to the left my water. Uh, so it's kind of cool. It's a beautiful place. But out here in Washington State, our taxes on alcohol are ungodly high. So I think when I walked out, this one was closer to $90 when I walked out. So that's why I only sip a little bit of it. But if you're here, I'd pour you a little bit more. That's what we're starting with. We're having this wonderful cigar and this peerless bourbon. It's quite good. Let's talk a little bit today about how to lead in a virtual workplace. Isn't this interesting? So I'm glad you're here. I wish you were sitting right here so I could share some of the things that we've learned from others about how to lead in a virtual workplace. But since you're not here, let's just imagine that I'm walking with you down a hike you're on or, or we're driving together or something like that. Or maybe we're sitting here in the studio with your feet up and you're enjoying a cigar with me and you're enjoying some of this bourbon. You and I have some of the same challenges, most likely, about how to work well in a virtual workplace. So we're going to talk about the rise of the virtual workplace We've all experienced it. Some of us love the virtual workplace and some of us hate it. <laughs> Maybe in the same day. Maybe in the same hour. <laughs> some things about this virtual workplace are a lot better than it was before we had the technology and the ability to work virtually. And other things are admittedly a lot worse. But it's here to stay. 
It's clear to me now that as leaders and managers and supervisors, maybe all three, maybe you're all three, but you're trying to influence other people to do good stuff and to get better at doing their stuff, that it's clear to me that we need to adapt our leadership approaches, even our own personal self-disciplines, if we're going to be effective at this game. Because leadership is hard, but let's not make it harder than it needs to be, okay? So here's a few things we've learned over the past few years about this challenge that we've got. So look at yourself as I share these perspectives with you. You're probably pretty good at most of this. First, you know that leadership is mostly about your presence, your values and your mental models, my values and mental models and my habits and my disciplines, even our observable skills get traction when people are around us, when they're in our presence, when they're with you. We lead best when they can see us. <laughs> Rocket surgery, right? <laughs> Leadership by remote control doesn't work very well. Here's the second thought. We know that the virtual workplace is easier for introverts than for extroverts. You remember the basic definition of the difference between the two. An extrovert is somebody who gets charged up by being around the outer world of ideas and people and activity. It fills their battery. And an introvert is somebody who tends to need to go away in the quietness of their own thoughts and maybe even away from outer world of activity and to think and to ponder some things, kind of to be alone, even if they're in a crowd. They need to go in that kind of environment, get away from things in order to charge their battery. And it has nothing to do with whether we like people or don't like people. It just has to do with what charges our battery and what drains us, right? So we know that the virtual workplace is easier for introverts than for extroverts. Most virtual workplace environments are where people are working largely alone, except they might be interacting in a digital way with people. We also know that it's easier to accomplish deep work in a virtual workplace than it is to accomplish shallow work. That's an idea, of course, that comes from Cal Newport, who wrote a book called Deep Work, which I've recommended many times on this podcast and on our videos over on the Hilt Academy on YouTube, where you can see this kind of stuff being talked about with me in my Pendleton shirts and a glass of bourbon in front of me. But podcasts, I know, they work better for when you're moving around or traveling or driving or that sort of thing. So that's why we do both, podcasts and videos. But I've recommended Cal Newport's work before. In it, he talks about the different kind of work that we do. Deep work and shallow work sounds just exactly what it is, right? Shallow work is stuff you can do and get interrupted and finish fairly quickly and move through. It's like your to-do list or your tasks or that sort of thing. And if you're interrupted, you can get right back to it and not really have lost your place. Deep work, on the other hand, is work that requires judgment and concentration and a lot of discipline to get into the deep work. And we tend to dive into it and swim down into it for a while. And then if we're interrupted, it is hard for us to get back to it. And we need to have both of those. As a leader, you need to make decisions and get stuff done, but you also need to have very good judgment to look at the future and help think through complex problems and challenges. So deep work is easier to do in virtual environments. So here's the third idea. Remember that your job as a leader is to get results, not to get a bunch of tasks done. You do that, you get results by creating and energizing what we call the leadership flywheel. Now remember the leadership flywheel from what we've talked about in some of our other environments. Imagine a big circle in front of you and it starts at the top and it's going to go clockwise. That you as a leader right at the top, leaders do something. By your leadership, you move around and you create structure. Structure is how we arrange our world to get our work done. It's mental 
mental models, but it's also buildings and software and hardware and rules and policies and procedures. It's the systems of any organization or enterprise, including our thoughts, including what we believe is true called mental models. That structure going around now, the flywheel, that structure then creates culture. Culture which is defined largely by structure. Culture is the answer to what do we honor around here? What do we say? Yes, let's do this. What are our values? What do they look like in action? What matters to us? If you do these things, you're part of the group, right? That's culture everywhere. It's always been that way. But then culture focuses on and creates specific behaviors. Now we're going around, we're almost two-thirds around this flywheel. Leaders create structure, structure creates culture, culture creates behaviors, specific behaviors. And if you do those behaviors long enough, and reject other behaviors that are on the don't do those list, then those behaviors will create, now we're almost finished with the flywheel, they'll create results. You get the results that you're after. And then the results put pressure back to the top of the flywheel on you as a leader. So we know your job as a leader is to get results. And results aren't just goals. Results are what's left after the work is done. So there you go. Leaders create structure. Structure creates culture. Culture creates behaviors. It's the behaviors repeated long enough that get the results. The results now create a different future for us, and that puts pressure on you. That's the leadership flywheel. So that's my point here. Remember, your job is to get results. Okay, you got that? Now, the fourth thing I want to share with you is that you have two sides to that job, to create clarity and to create alignment. That is what you do constantly. It's like your right foot and your left foot and your right foot and your left foot. And we've talked about that in other podcasts before. You have two jobs. You get this flywheel going and keep it going by your presence. And what you're doing to keep that flywheel going is to create clarity. This is where we're going. This is why it's important. We're not going there. And that's less important. That's clarity. What matters that's clarity. And then create alignment so that your effort, my effort, everyone else's effort are all pointed in the same direction. Those are our jobs. Okay, those are the four ideas. Leadership's mostly about presence. In a virtual workplace, it's easier for introverts than for extroverts. Easier to do deep work in a virtual workplace than it is to do shallow work. The third idea was, remember, your job is to get results. And the fourth idea is you do that by doing two things, create clarity and create alignment. Okay, now that you know all those things, and we're now 12 or 13 minutes into this podcast, <laughs> now you know those things, how do we lead in a virtual workplace? What are the competencies? And then what are the skills that you and I need? You remember a competency is, is a bundled set of abilities that shows up all the time, all the time, all the time. And skills show up only when they're needed. All right. Curiosity is, is for example, a competency and time management is a skill, for example. All right. So what are these competencies and skills that we need? I'll just go through them. It's a podcast. You can back up and listen to it again and again if I speak too quickly. <laughs> all right. Here we go competencies. You have an internal get-it-done engine that doesn't require a jump start from other people. Then you're going to be able to lead well and work well in a virtual environment. And then you are mentally disciplined so that you focus on what matters and you're not easily distracted. That's your second competency. Here's your third one. You have emotional disciplines so that you're not easily discouraged and you're not drawn into drama. You don't absorb the emotional contagion of negative people around you. You've got emotional disciplines. Here's the next one, the fourth competency. You have got physical disciplines. So you are physically energetic and healthy. It is surprising how exhausting it can be and how hard on the body it can be to work in a virtual environment. 
Here's the next competency. You have a strength-based mindset. You always look for what's working and you go with that. You don't focus on what's broken or what's wrong with yourself or with a program or an idea or a company or another person and pet the fur off of that thing that's wrong, right? You don't do that. You'll notice it, but you pivot quickly to strengths and you build on strengths. And here's your last of these six competencies. You have a vivid and creative imagination. Leaders without imagination tend to just be managers. Management is a skill set that makes sure that we are efficient and effective after we've been pointed in a direction. Leadership is about imagining the direction in which we're going to be pointing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. Those are competencies. Here are some skills that you and I need to have if we're going to work well and lead well in a virtual environment. Number one, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. This might be a surprise to you, but the virtual workplace does not save time, except in one case, travel right? To click a couple of keystrokes, I can go from Seattle to Orlando like that, but I haven't actually traveled to Orlando. So I can connect with somebody in Florida with a few keystrokes in a few seconds if they're available, but I can't get there in a few seconds, no matter how fast my airplane is. (laughs) I can't. So you get that. But when it comes to time, it only saves time when it comes to travel, but not any other way. In fact, we have to slow down when we're in a virtual environment for a whole whole bunch of reasons. When I'm interacting with somebody virtually, I have to slow down. I have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. By the way, sidebar, I highly recommend you do that in your entire life ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Hurry is destructive to the soul and it compromises your judgment as a leader, saps the joy out of you. All right, here's the second skill. Connect first, then go to content. Connect first, then go to content. This is important. That is, in a virtual environment, when I connect with somebody, I want to know what were they just working on? What was their weekend like? What was the last 20 minutes of their day before they hopped on the phone? What are they going to do afterwards? This doesn't take very long. You don't have to hurry through it, but it only takes a moment or two or three to really kind of get into the world in which a person is now living. It's very important. You would do that naturally if you were in a literal work work environment where I'm face-to-face with you. I would overhear it. I would notice the look on your face. I would see you your messed up desk or the workspace around you, or I would see your dented car. I'd see all that stuff. And so I'd get a bit of a context with you, but we have to force that. We have to discipline ourselves to have that when we're in a virtual environment. Here's the third skill. Focus, 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 focus. Eliminate distractions when you're in a virtual work environment. There are so many of them and it makes it extremely difficult. So make your workplace as simple as possible. And then when you're communicating with somebody in a virtual work environment, do not multitask. Don't read your email while you're on the phone with somebody. Don't send texts while you're sending emails. Don't try to water the plants in the background while you're on a Zoom call with somebody. Focus. Do only one thing. All right. Then here's the next scale. Prompt discussions about the impacts your decisions have on other people before you make those decisions and then right after you make those decisions. It's as though my friend John talks about we have these invisible wires between us and when we move or act or do something, it tugs on the wire across the way with other people. Imagine us all kind of tied together with these invisible wires. The fact that we are in a virtual workplace does not sever those wires, but we can pick up when we're in literal workplace, when we can see you in real life and we happen to be in the same workspace for long periods of time. I can pick up pretty quickly on the impact of 
of my decisions on you. I'll watch it. I'll see it. You'll hear it. And it's immediate or often close to immediate, but in a virtual workplace, it's not. So prompt discussions about the impacts that you have on other people by your decisions. Ask them, what are the impacts? And then ask them again after the decision has been implemented. All right, here's the next skill. Create margins in your calendar so that you can be responsive and you can be available. Got a dear friend who is one of the most responsive people I have ever met. He's so, so good at this. I could, right now, in the middle of recording this podcast, I could pick up my phone, I could hit pause, pick up my phone, text him, and no matter what he's doing, he would respond. And he doesn't just do that with me because I'm something special. He does it with everyone. The guy's incredibly responsive. So you need to be able to have margins in your day and in your calendar so that you can be responsive especially in a virtual environment. The next skill set is to use what we call appreciative inquiry. It is, when it was originally described 30 years ago or so, a way of solving problems. It became weird as time went on, but the original stuff was really, really good. It simply means if you're experiencing a problem somewhere, as soon as you understand what you think the problem is, look around for where that problem has already been solved and study that and then try to apply the solution back to the current problem. And this is a little challenging to do because often we don't call this problem the same thing that they called that problem over there. So you have to do a little bit of digging and you can find out, oh, we solved that over there. All right, so learn from that and bring it back to this problem. That's called appreciative inquiry. I talk more about that in some of our other podcasts. And here's another skill. We've only got two more here on this list. Clarify your expectations. When you're communicating with people in a virtual environment, come right out and say what you expect. Clarify your expectations, for example, for Zoom calls. Clarify your expectations for phone calls. My expectation is that we'll start on time and end on time. Our expectation is that you'll come prepared, that you will not be distracting with any of your behavior or noise in the background. For example, if you have a group meeting and everyone's on camera but one person is not, just because they are wanting to eat salad and don't want to have anyone looking at them, you have to clarify your expectations. This is a camera zone. I want all the cameras on so we can see each other. Clarify expectations. That's just one one example, but there are many more expectations. Don't just assume that the people with whom you work, that you used to work face-to-face with, and now it's across a virtual environment, just know what your expectations are. Well, they don't. It's changed. Certainly don't assume that as someone who's brand new to your work environment and fairly new to working in a virtual environment with you. Clarify your expectations up front and then negotiate them. Ask if these expectations are realistic. And then here's another skill. You celebrate. Learning how to celebrate wins, large and small, in a virtual environment is incredible incredibly important. One of the favorite ways that we celebrate in our virtual environments, because we are we have a combination kind of hybrid workplace where some of them are virtual and some of them are in person. It's, it's kind of fun to work that way and they're in different locations. And so what we do is pull together a virtual happy hour. Sometimes it's in person, like at Don Q's secret bar, or sometimes it is all virtual with a Zoom meeting, cameras are on. Sometimes we'll send a bottle of bourbon to people and say, we're all going to drink this or we're going to enjoy these same cigars. But we have happy hours and they truly are only an hour, some of them only a half an hour. People come together, we celebrate, we laugh, we have a good time about whatever was accomplished that week or that month. That's one way of doing it. Man, we have really found that that was enjoyable. So, it's also important to remember this in a virtual environment. We have developed what we like to call a communication hierarchy in a virtual work environment. That means that the stuff at the top is the best way to communicate and then go down the list to the bottom and that's the least effective way to communicate. So here it is. I'll say it slowly enough so you could pull over and write it down if you needed to. All right, here we go. Communication hierarchy. 
the highest, most effective way of communicating with people is in person. You're thinking, well, this is a podcast about virtual work environment. Why is that the highest one? Well, it is. It's the highest one. It's the one that works the best. So if you cannot communicate in person, then default to the next rung down on that communication hierarchy ladder, and that's video. That's face-to-face over video. That's the second best way to communicate. Pick up that phone and FaceTime somebody or set up a meeting so you can communicate face-to-face with them. It is so much better. The next one, if you can't do video for some reason, then default to the next one down this ladder, which is phone. This is voice-to-voice over the phone. If you can't do that, default to texting. Texting is immediate. Most people respond very quickly to texting, but it does have huge limitations. If somebody is feeling at all threatened, they're going to hear threats in your text even if they don't exist. So get good at texting, understanding that people will probably misread emotions half of the time. So be careful with that, but that's the next one down. If text doesn't work, if you can't text, then default now down the ladder to email. Email is the uh, so far is a lot less effective than in person and video and phone and text. Then go to email. All right. We way overuse email. We use it like our primary way of communicating. We often put it at the top of our list. It is not the best way to communicate. You all know that now. Well, it saves time. No, it does not. <laughs> There's some interesting research done by a sociologist and organizational development in New Zealand and found out that email takes about three times longer when you add up the amount of time that it took to write the email, read the email send it, someone else to read it, understand it, send a partly understood response back and forth and back and forth. It takes three times as long to communicate an email with a person than it does to call them on the phone and talk to them voice to voice. Wow, email. It does have its place. It's good to document large amounts of information that we can pull up later. It's good for that, but never use email as your first form of communication. It will make your work harder. Then you could go down the next rung down on that communication hierarchy is what we call the memo. That's where you send out a bunch of information to everybody. If that doesn't work, that just, ah, smoke signals, I guess, right? So in person, if that doesn't work, do video. If that doesn't work, then do phone calls. If that doesn't work, do text. If you can't do text, then do email. If you can't do an email, ah, a memo will probably work. If you can't do a memo, well, then give up or do smoke signals. (laughs) It's a lot different to lead in a virtual environment. Be careful not to make the mistake that just because it saves some time, and some money logistically, that it will be more efficient relationally. You still have to lead by being present. You still have to lead by connecting. Ha, huh, interesting stuff there. We notice also in virtual environments that although efficiency of doing repetitive tasks has gone way up, efficiency and effectiveness of innovation and creative ideas and complex problem solving has gone way down. So what this means, if we don't pay attention to this, is we're just going to keep doing the same thing we've been doing, but better and faster and cheaper without any innovation whatsoever. Ah. Final thoughts. If you're hiring somebody to lead in a virtual environment, make sure that they've demonstrated a track record of these skills and these competencies. If they have not, it will be hard for them to learn them in a fast environment. Ah, there you go. How fun was that? I enjoyed this time with you. This is the point where I'd sit back and say, what do you think? What have you learned? You've had experiences maybe that I've not had or that others that I studied have not had. So what have you learned? And this is where I would sit back and say, it's time for me to sip some more of this peerless Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Smell is so good. Mm, I just had the one sip as we started the podcast, and I think I'm going to enjoy the rest of this half a shot or whatever it is (laughs) before I head off rest of my day. It's a virtual day, by the way. I am communicating with people over video all day long today. Mm -hmm. 
Mmm, good stuff. Keep up the good work. We need you to succeed. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.